fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Twenty seconds. Drives on a one-timer score. Put it in deep. Flames right back on the attack. Lindholm drops it off. Here's Valamaki in front. They score! Johnny Gaudreau tips it in. The Lion blender pays off and Gaudreau ties this game at two. So Johnny Gaudreau with a chance to win it for Calgary in the shootout. Scores! Five hole Johnny Gaudreau. And he started the comeback and finishes it. Crosby turns, shoots, he scores! Sidney Crosby Getting pucks deep, putting the puck deep. Put pucks in deep, just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Pucks in deep. Pucks in deep, pucks deep. Pucks deep, keep getting pucks deep. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pucks in Deep podcast, episode 76, episode 2, if you're counting our video episodes. As uh, many of you know, we released our first video podcast on YouTube just yesterday or maybe the day before Let's Go. I don't know. The days are running in front of me here. But uh, the quality, not, not the greatest that we've ever had. So we're really hoping on improving the quality here in video number two. Welcome back to the Pucks and D podcast. How have you been, my friend? It's been a couple of weeks here. A couple of weeks while we sorted out all these technical issues. You think we would have had them sorted out, but we just spent an hour dicking around trying to figure our shit out. So <laughs> I don't so know. True. Like this, there's a lot of learning curve for us here. But uh, I guess shout out to Gio, our man, and helping us out and get this all sorted out and figured out for us to produce some more content for you folks. But uh, what a, a crazy couple of weeks in the NHL. I mean, I don't even know where to start. There, you know, just going back to the intro couple of great highlights crazy night for the oilers dry saddle mcdavid putting up stupid points almost and, challenging uh, sittler's record boy i know that's we were on sittler watch that night but believe it or not i couldn't believe that mcdavid put up five points going dash one though <laughs> well cl- classic edmonton that's classic yeah. edmonton yeah and more of a reflection of the situation on that team and their inability to keep pucks out of the net but uh, can't chirp them too hard. I guess they took the Leafs on Saturday. So. Right, right. But yeah, man, you're right. Lot, lots of excitement, uh, especially as we heard in the intro. You've got Johnny Goudreau scoring up to tie the game, and then he wins it with a really nifty shootout winner. Not sure if you caught that one, but I mean, the guy basically stick-handled the puck across the goal line uh, on a Vesna-caliber goaltender who just earlier that game gave up like a 125-foot goal uh, from the Flames' blue line to Tanev, who just basically skipped one in through a couple of legs. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot to look at. But for me, it was the final highlight that we heard in the intro, let's go, the Sidney Crosby overtime game-winning goal against the New York Rangers, which if you're if you haven't been living under a rock, basically the moment that goal went in, life came crashing down real hard and real fast on one recently waived Tony D'Angelo. I mean, this story has been ongoing for quite some time. He seems to attract himself a lot of well, at least in pro sports, you would say unwanted attention. Right. Uh, but this Crosby goal apparently put it over the, the top. And I guess for our listeners and viewers who haven't seen the story quite yet, uh, essentially after Crosby scored that winner, there was a bit of a miscommunication between uh, Georgiev and um, D'Angelo on the OT winner that led to a turnover causing the Crosby goal. D'Angelo apparently says something, some kind of smart-ass remark to Georgiev, which results in a bit of a tussle in the hallway after the game, which also results in D'Angelo getting punched in the face. Don't think anybody feels too bad for him. (laughs) And subsequently waived and unclaimed so far in the NHL. So that really got the ball rolling. And from the sounds of things, I mean, so much has happened in the story in the last 
like 24 hours and we've been getting little bits of news mm-hmm. uh, as, as since that event happened. But man, I mean, this, this guy, if anybody's been paying attention to what's been going on with this guy and the controversy that seems to come with him, I mean, he's like, I don't care what, we'll put all the political views aside and the stuff that he puts out online, but. Which is tough to do. It's pretty hard to stick in the NHL if you're that big of a dick. I don't care how good you are at hockey. If you're that big of a dick, it's going to catch up to you eventually, and it certainly did with him. Yeah, I mean, maybe unless you're a coach in the NHL, then it takes a little bit longer to catch up to you. Uh, but you're right. I mean, eventually it does catch up to everybody, doesn't it? Uh, and, you know, we, we've heard some more uh, details coming out in this story with some suspensions back in his OHL days with the Sarnia Sting. Um, you know, never really clarified exactly what, happened to lead to the suspension in the OHL, but it was identified as a breach of the player's respectable racial something or other. So it, it was, was using it racial was, slurs. It was racial. Exactly. Yeah. Was, thank you. And it was more than yeah. once too. Yeah. So this was a, a, he was a known problem coming into his NHL career. And here you're playing in this big market in New York. And it was only a matter of time before this kind of shit was going to catch up to him. And, you know, this guy very clearly, if it wasn't if it wasn't known before, and I believed this before this altercation even occurred with the Rangers, this guy was obviously a cancer in the dressing room. Okay, we you know, people talk about big personalities in the game and but this is different, okay? Like this is somebody who was clearly very much unliked by his teammates, so much so that there was a, a you know, a fight amongst teammates coming off the ice from that OT loss to the Penguins. And then they got to have a press conference to address him being waived. When was the last time you saw a press conference for a guy on waivers? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you know, and in all honesty, we, we do see teammates fighting from time to time, but it's always on the ice, Lesko. Uh, you know, or maybe it might be in the dressing room afterwards, but you don't hear about it. We don't hear about mm. that stuff. You know, that's tight. That's with the boys. Um, so you get to this point now, and this is also with the boys. The boys are fed up with your shit. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know if you knew about this either, Lesko, but Keandre Miller, who scored his first NHL goal earlier this season, apparently had the puck that he scored the goal with was hidden on him by Tony D'Angelo. And the story checks out with all their other teammates. But I guess he's trying to play it off like it was a joke. But the, the New York Rangers social media team releases pictures of all their rookie players or, you know, whoever scored their first goal in the NHL, they have all the photos for that. And mysteriously, the photo of Miller with his first NHL goal puck was was missing. And I guess eventually when the, the dirt was starting to be dug up on this whole D'Angelo scenario, that was also found out. Um, you know, and obviously, we as we know, Miller is an African-American player. And it, this just furthers the speculation that Tony D'Angelo is a racist piece of shit. And, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to uh, be so blunt about it, but, you know, sorry, not sorry, Tony. And uh, enjoy your time on the buses and enjoy your time in Russia. And I wanted to ask you, Lesko, if you think that this actually is the end of the line for Tony D'Angelo. Uh, I, I got to think so. Just And I, I may I hope so. And, you know, thinking about the NHL and the NHL's inability to shake, you know, the, some of the cultural issues that plague them, I have a bit of concern that somebody's going to take a flyer on this guy and think maybe a change the scenery, I can, we can make a player out of this guy. But you got to think it's the last straw because the Rangers were that team. They gave him so much leeway. They, he had a podcast that was based on how politically incorrect he was, which I'm not going to get into that whole sidebar. But, like, the Rangers actively promoted this guy, right? And, and you know, he's getting into it online with people all the time. Yeah. You know, he's a, you know, super Trump guy, COVID denying, and all that kind of bullshit, okay? Cancel culture this and blah, blah, blah. Like, nobody cares, buddy. Show up and play hockey. Yeah. And he wasn't performing on the ice. So you knew the team wasn't happy with him in multiple aspects. You know, if you're going to be a piece of shit on the ice, you better off the ice. You better bring it when you're on the ice. And he was doing neither. He's a terrible person off the ice, terrible player on the ice. Move on. And if I'm around the NHL, who wants to bring a can a known cancer like that into their dressing room? 
I just wouldn't want to take the risk at upsetting, you know, the chemistry or the camaraderie that goes on in that room by bringing in some loudmouth douchebag. Yeah, and you see, originally when this broke and what I understood it to be just a a miscommunication between goaltender and defender that spilled over into the tunnel, you know? So they had a miscommunication on the ice. Great. Um, you know, it, it has been reported that there ha- there were two occasions earlier in the game. D'Angelo was actually on the ice for all of the Penguins' goals, including the OT winner by Crosby. Um, but apparently there were, you know, words exchanged between the goaltender and Tony D'Angelo at several points throughout the game. So, Initially, when the story broke, I, I did tend to, you know, chalk it up to uh, a bad start to the season, some, you know, bad feelings for one another, perhaps. But at the end of the day, you know, they'll move on past this. But then, you know, word came down. It was a lot more serious than anticipated. A literal fight broke out. Uh, we're totally done with this guy. We already told him that one more time of him being in the news in a negative way would result in us waving him. And that's exactly what the Rangers did. They came good on their promise. As far as the final strike, you're on thin ice. So yeah. originally I did say to a few people on Twitter and in my own conversations that I anticipated another NHL team taking a flyer on this player, probably at a retained salary or at, you know, the ability for a team to move three or four million dollars off the cap and make it a money deal to acquire the services of Tony D'Angelo. Because let's be honest, you you just brought it up earlier, Lesko. There were times where he was a very effective NHL player. I had him in fantasy. You know, at one point he was over 70% owned in yeah, fantasy. So people drafted him in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was obviously doing well at some point. And like you mentioned, if you're if you're playing well enough, then you can kind of hide some of this extracurricular stuff. But in this case, not playing well, being a terrible uh, teammate, being a terrible human being, uh, basically results in you getting waived. So after a little bit more details have come out, I am inclined to believe that we won't be seeing Tony D'Angelo in the NHL um, maybe ever again. And that is probably nobody's fault other than Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's had it coming to him. And you can't continuously piss everybody off. Like I said, the Rangers cut him a shitload of slack. More than I would have cut him and more than a lot of other organizations in the NHL would have put up with. Right. And, you know, to put it over the Rangers as well, I always like to take a bit of a dive into the PR standpoint of this whole thing. They completely completely botched this and like i said to the point where they felt the need to have a press conference the other day to try and you know quell things a little bit but there was so much contradictory garbage in that press conference that they just made themselves look dumber in the process i mean saying shit like uh oh well he was very well liked by his teammates <laughs> well which ones the other mega chuds like yeah. what the hell is that <laughs> what, what you mean you, you got more racist like teammates guy. in there yeah like what else you got in there exactly and the other part of it was trying to refute the whole Keandre Miller first goal thing. Yeah. There's been mixed sources on that. I know Wyshynski was trying to talk about a different narrative that's emerged from him talking to high-level sources within the Rangers organization. But for them to say their original uh, uh, fighting back to that was, well, we were on a trip, uh, road trip, so we only had so many people traveling with the team and our social guy wasn't there. But yet there's a picture of another guy from the same goddamn road trip, pretty sure Lafreniere, yeah. with his first goal pop. That's so, right. Again, just a mess from top to bottom, moving on from the player so they can focus on hockey and not just trying to snuff out PR fire. Well, yeah, and the Rangers even went so far. Like, they were really trying to cover this up. You're right, dude, because when it was brought up about the no picture for his goal um they said the rangers responded to that and said that's because the rangers lost the game which yeah, like you got to do your own fact checking man like you you posted another new york rangers first nhl goal in a losing effort so you like ah oh, that's it's just so bad like people not doing their homework very very poor damage control i mean let's be honest Damage control is a big deal when you're talking about a massive organization, whether it be financially speaking, like Robin Hood looking for 
a media specialist that can deal with uh, crisis control or, you know, a sports organization and one of the biggest ones on the planet in New York City. I mean, you just have to be able to do your own homework a little bit better than that and just know when to say, all right, Twitter, you win. So if there's another guy you could use a little PR help out there these days, I imagine it's Patrick Reed of the PGA Tour. Oh, boy. Because I don't know about you. You're a big golf guy. You watch way more golf than me. But that's the greasiest shit I've ever seen in a golf match. And nobody <laughs> is giving this guy the benefit of the doubt. Nobody. And I hate, by the way, I'll also put this in there. I hate the way golf commentators and, and golf analysts pussyfoot around his cheating. Like, they don't. You know, they, they, they call bring up little suspicions, but no one's like outright being like, this guy's a dirtbag, but he's a dirtbag. <laughs> well, listen, let me tell you, man, Nick Faldo, Sir Nick Faldo, and uh, Brandel Shambly, those guys were not holding back at all. Um, you know, it, like I know I understand, Lesko, you, like you said, you're not huge on golf. You probably weren't watching, you know, live from or the after hours feeds like I was soaking all that in because I couldn't wait to see what everybody had to say about this Patrick Reed situation. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to – I guess we're getting into it. I don't know how long we're going to go on. it. There's lots to unpack, bro. Um, you know, it started in Bermuda last year uh, when he dug away, you know. Yeah, he's fluffed. Fluffed his balls up and he dug he dug digging the four, trap. four or five shovelfuls of fucking sand out from behind his ball so that he could get better contact on the ball. And after it was brought to his attention that he was caught on video, yeah, hey Patrick, you're on the fucking PGA tour, chum. Yeah, all right, there's cameras. So he goes, oh, I didn't realize I was doing it. Ah, okay, so I believe they gave him a, a stroke penalty or something on that one. I can't remember, honestly. They gave him a penalty on that one, and he went on. No big deal. Now, this one here, this past weekend, ball lands in the rough, bounces about four or five feet away from where it landed. This is the part that everyone, Patrick Reed included, seems to want to get stuck on. Nobody saw the ball bounce. Nobody in the group, uh, the playing group, his playing competitors, their caddies, the volunteers. There was a volunteer that was like five or six yards away from the ball. She said she didn't see it bounce. She didn't say that it didn't. She said she didn't yeah, see so it he, bounce. So, you know, exploited that. Yeah, he exploited that. That's exactly correct. And exploiting yeah. is such a great word. We're going we're gonna to come to it. he knew the ball wasn't embedded. There's no way it was embedded, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I will give him this benefit. I will because I'll give it to oh. Rory and it happened to Rory later on. So if it's embedded, why do you pick up the ball then? No, but you have to pick up the ball to see if it's embedded. So this is where I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. If, if all of the playing partners and the caddies and the volunteers are all saying no one saw it bounce then you have to check the ball because it's probably embedded if it didn't bounce. So in lack of having video, which is all of those people that I just listed, the volunteers, Patrick Reed, and his playing partners and caddies, none of those guys have access to video, but we do at home. So while we know at home that the ball bounced, Patrick Reed nor the playing partners, caddies, or volunteers, none of them know that it did. So him checking the ball is completely legal. Him moving the ball is also actually legal, even though you may think that it's greasy and whatnot. It kind of is, but it is legal. You are not allowed to palm the ball or remove debris, which is what he did. He palmed the fuck out of that golf ball. I saw him fiddling with the ball for like five minutes before he moved it. The other thing that is quite clearly illegal, but also unable to be proven in court, is the fact that... He finger-fucked the hole. He fucking finger-fucked it like six or seven times. And at one point, you can see his body like leans forward. I'm going to do it from the side for the viewers at home. He leans forward as he's grabbing. He's grabbing his golf ball and leaning into it. Yeah. He created the embeddedment. He created it. He made yeah, no sure doubt. that the ball was embedded after finding out that it wasn't, okay? His next play should have been, hey, guys, it's not embedded. I'm going to put it right back. And then you fucking yeah. put it right back. And if you're Patrick Reed, you can cheat then. You can cheat well, you, then. Do you think it like, you know, common sense, you bring the line judge over and be like, all right, let's look at it, you know, or the, the, the guy who wanders around the course. Whatever yeah, the, you call the, him, the rules the official. Bring him yeah, in. Yeah, you figure... 
the fact that he already had moved the ball and the rules officials were like, oh, okay, sure. Like, I was like, this is bullshit. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, that's the kind of stuff I would pull, you know, uh, going out for nine and dying with the boys. Yeah, like, yeah. That's oh, a joke. And dude. Right? Like, and like he just, it's just to simplify it for everybody. Basically what happened here is he looked at the ball, didn't like the lie, picked it up, finger fucked the ground and said, oh yeah, look, Broke it was ground. embedded. Yeah. You know, like that's horseshit. It's horseshit. Honestly, so it usually is. When that happens, it's so obvious on, on video, like on TV too. Like it happened a bunch at the previous masters, right? Cause the course was super soft. Right. Balls were just going right into the, right into the greens often too. Yeah. They were just sinking right in. And you know what, dude, he's such a, condescending asshole like so he moves his ball it's fucking over there and he says to the rules official yeah my ball was embedded and uh i just want you to come over and uh confirm that it's embedded so the rules official is like oh okay well where's your ball where's the ball and he goes he goes oh i moved it already over there but here's the hole Here's the hole right here, and you can feel the lip. And even as he's talking to the rules official, he's in there. He's fucking in yeah. there trying to get the hole off before he has to go home. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, come on. And, oh, and then the, the, the fucking the rules official goes, oh, okay, well, do you mind if I uh, you know, put my finger in, in, in there to check it out? And Reed has the audacity to go, well, how else are you going to check it? Like, you're putting this rules official in the worst position that he's ever been in in his career as a rules official where he has to now sign off on a PGA professional who knowingly cheats. Let yeah. me repeat that. He knowingly cheats at golf. So there's someone who should say does not deserve the benefit of the doubt once again whatsoever. No, absolutely not. And I mean you got all these fucking people on Twitter just blowing it up and that's where the story gets really good, dude, because the official Patrick Reed Twitter account is ran by his wife Justine. Okay. There has long been a rumored burner account belonging to Justine. Right. It is extremely pro Patrick as you can imagine, and it's right. very anti JT Justin Thomas. And Rory McIlroy. So later on in the round, Rory McIlroy had quite literally the exact same scenario where no one saw his ball bounce and he went up and he checked it and it turned out to be embedded even though the ball did bounce. And you can find some frame-by-frame slow-motion videos, let's go, of Rory McIlroy's shot where it literally lands, pops up, and goes right back. So... It can't be 100% confirmed without a doubt of, you know, uncertainty or shred of uncertainty, but it does really appear that Rory's ball plugs, exits the plug, and then lands back in the plug. Whereas Patrick Reed's, you can very clearly see that it, it, la- goes far yeah, away, it yeah. lands way further away, like five or six feet away, not even close. So Rory's situation was the same in the sense that he hollered over to his playing partners that he believed it was embedded and he was going to check. He did check. It was embedded. He cleaned it off, took his drop, which is free relief, and then continued to play. Now, the the Patrick Reed, Justine Reed alleged burner account posted a message in all capital letters along the lines of, Rory McIlroy did the exact same thing on 18 and no one cared. How come only Rory and not Patrick or whatever, right? Moments later, the exact same tweet, verbatim, all caps, same hashtags, same everything, was shared as a new tweet, not a retweet. It was shared as a new tweet from the official Patrick Reed Twitter right. account. So that blew golf Twitter right up. Oh, yeah. And everyone was saying, oh, it's confirmed. It's confirmed. And I had to listen to two, the foreplay uh, podcast from Barstool Sports and also the No Laying Up podcast, uh, which right. is another golf podcast. And like those guys had such a great time breaking this down. It was a lot of fun. It was a really interesting weekend, dude. And Reed ended up winning by five shots. So it's not like if he did take a two two-shot penalty – that it would have mattered, but at the end of the day, he's still a scumbag. He still cheats at golf. You will never change my mind. Yeah, no, you won't change mine either. And I, you know, I don't follow enough to to comment on it too much. But I mean, if I 
follow as little as I do, and it's very clear to me this guy cheats. Like, that's it's embarrassing. Like, you're a pro golfer, buddy. Like, figure it out. Yeah, you'd have to live under a rock, especially to and not see it. And people are watching it. this guy now. He's being watched, right? Like, everyone's <laughs> watching this guy to make sure he ain't fluffing it or whatever he's doing. So, yeah. hey, enough of this crap. Back to the ice. Um, tell me what you're feeling right now. I guess, who should be more embarrassed, I guess, is a good question. Is it Patrick Reed right now? Or Connor Hellebuck after letting in that goal from the blue line in that game. Well, it's hard to say that. Uh... Does that take you right off the Vesna ballot when you <laughs> let in the Toscala esque goal? <laughs> it was Toscala esque. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know what? I feel it might have been even worse than the Toscala one because at least with Vesa Toscala, the poor fucking guy, at least it was bouncing like a jelly bouncing, bean. Yeah, those are tricky bouncers. It you was tricky. Those. Uh, this one here with Connor Hellebuck, uh, you know, it's hard to say that Patrick Reed should feel embarrassed after he probably won a, a cool couple mil after winning that uh, Farmers Insurance Open. So I'm going to go with Hellebuck on this one, especially because, you know, Hellebuck won't have to feel embarrassed about this, uh, not only if the Jets were to have won that hockey game, which, as you could hear from the intro, they did not. So, you know, he's a little embarrassed there because, you know, that goal that he let in factored into the losing cause. But... Let's say big picture, the Jets go on to win the Stanley Cup. Let's go. I think you got your answer. I don't think he's going to be too bothered about that. No, probably not. Not if he's bringing home the hardware again right. uh, for the best of the trophy. It's just that one's going to stick in people's minds for a while. It's one of those ones that gets on the top 10, and it's just it'll follow you around forever. But, I mean, if you, if you go on to have a great career, hopefully uh, you make some other memories that fans will uh, bring up instead of that one because mm-hmm. uh, it's pr- pretty ugly. But, Staying on the topic of the Jets, of course, uh, huge deal, uh, big old hockey trade, just the way we like them. Pierre-Luc Dubois going to Winnipeg for uh, Patrick Laine, heading down to Columbus. Uh, I got a lot of thoughts on this one, mainly that I didn't, you know, I, I can't recall if we talked about it previously, myself and, and you, but I didn't think this deal was going to happen, simply because Pierre-Luc Dubois being a high-end, guaranteed first-line center, I figured he would command a little bit higher return. And a lot of people were saying, like, you know, Line being the better player just simply by virtue of goals. But I'm thinking Columbus wasn't able to get a center back in this equation, and this was the best possible player they could get. So I think right now it's a win for both teams. Winnipeg getting rid of their Patrick Line problem and Columbus getting rid of their Dubois problem, but also getting some goals. You know, in a perfect world where Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't really even see being traded, like he didn't know that he was going to be traded and it was a shock, uh, I think the return is much bigger in, in that scenario. But in this scenario, Lesko, what you said just isn't right. It doesn't matter. You think it should be better. You'd want him to get it. You'd want Yarmo Kekalainen to get a centerman back, et cetera, et cetera. It ain't going to happen when you're selling moldy goods. Now, the difference with these moldy goods is as soon as they go to another person, the mold magically falls off. The mold is only existing with Columbus. So, you know, it became stale. It became moldy with the Columbus Blue Jackets. But as soon as you trade that player somewhere else, and I guess we have to wait and see because Dubois hasn't made his uh, debut yet with the Winnipeg Jets. But... We'll have to see what happens when he does because it'd be very interesting to me to see if this trade is going to blow up in either party's favor or faces, I should say. But at the end of the day, I think Yarmo did a really good job getting a player like Patrick Laine because let's be honest, let's go. His hands were tied. He had to move the player. How can you win a trade? when you know that you have to move the player. Yeah, it obviously became an untenable situation there where, you know, he played a career low 355 uh, in an OT loss against Tampa Bay. And, of course, Torts being Torts didn't want to say jack shit about it either. Well, did you see a shift in that game? I did see a shift, but it was after he hadn't played half the game. So, uh, yeah, I expected him to go out there and and shit the bed on purpose. Are you sure about that? Are I'm you... not going to play? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go cruise around here if you're going to treat me like this. So I, I do have, I'm not going to say sympathy for Dubois in that situation, but I'm not going to shit all over him like a lot of people were by saying like, well, yeah, look at him. Torch is raised dogging it. 
yeah, he's been already. He's already in the doghouse. He doesn't care. Right. You know, like if I'm probably gonna do a similar. You know, I shouldn't say I'm gonna, but I can see somebody acting in that manner in that situation. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. I I didn't know that it was after being benched. I thought. Well, like I said, he only played four minutes in that whole game, so he hadn't played. I, I you know I can't recall exactly when it took place in the game, but he had barely played in that in that hockey game when it took place. So yeah, like, you're right. Like, you're right because he's already checked out mentally yeah. this game a long time ago. Yeah, no, you're right because I do recall the on Twitter the news broke that uh, it was there was 11 minutes remaining in the second period, and Pierre Luc Dubois had you know, four minutes of ice time or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, you're right. He's already gone in that game in terms of like being engaged. So, but it, it's, it's going to be interesting because I, I like to go back to Columbus and I think there's a fascinating element here just in the Tortorella aspect of it. And I know they didn't give us anything in terms of, oh, player coach relationships and stuff. Right. But how long, how long can Yarmo Kekalayan let this go on? Because I like Torts, I'm a fan. We've we've talked about him before on the show. But how much longer can you let this go on? How many more star players can you afford to lose because of a coach? Because right now you brought in Patrick Laine, and he was having a hard time. We'll get to that in Winnipeg in terms of the dressing room dynamic, and it sounds like the coach and the the organization kind of you know left him out to dry as well in this situation. But here you've got Patrick Laine, a guy who's already probably sensitive to his surroundings, coming in to play for. Torts? Torts is going to break this man. Oh, yeah. He's going to, or if he doesn't break his Xbox over his fucking head. <laughs> Listen, one of two things is going to happen. Either Patrick Laine is going to become the greatest goal scorer the league has ever seen, or we may never hear from Patrick Laine again. And I mean that jokingly. Like, he's always going to be a good hockey player. But I think this transition will be the. PID turning point, pucks in deep turning point, patent pending or trademark pending. I don't know. Anyway, this is going to be the point in time where he either elevates and gets to another level and everyone goes, oh man, I did not expect that with torts or those people are going to be right. And what they expected is going to happen. And he is going to fall off the face of the earth and get 18 goals on average until he retires. Just based on what we know about the player right now in Patrick Laine is that I, I just don't see him thriving in the environment. Now, maybe he proves us wrong and he's new surroundings and he's feeling freed because by the sounds of things, the situation in Winnipeg was not much better because, I mean, when they interviewed uh, the captain, Blake Wheeler, he goes on to say, like, yeah, maybe I could... Basically, to, to paraphrase, yeah, I could have been a little bit nicer to Patrick Laine, a little more accommodating. Because yeah. what it sounded like is that him and Shifley didn't want to play with play with them. <laughs> That's what they gave him. Yeah, you've got this first-line talent who the two first-liners don't want to play with. That's a bit of a problem. Yeah, but that's and also on Paul like, Maurice, is it not? I mean, who who, a little who, bit, who yeah, coaches the team a, here? Right, and to not be able to settle the, the dressing room dynamic, I guess you could say. But it, from the sounds of things, not only did Paul Maurice sign with the, side with the captain, uh, so did the general manager, so did everybody else. So it's interesting that this clearly went on for quite some time because I can remember a long time ago being like, geez, Lina is down on the third line. He's on the second. You know, Why isn't he getting those big minutes with the big boys who are – you know, it's a very talented first line that Winnipeg can ice here. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough situation for being. I totally understand and sympathize with him for wanting to get out. I guess the irony in this whole situation here is that here's two guys who more than likely, uh, Dubois, it was actually reported, that wanted to go to a bigger market and a bigger stage. I bet you Columbus and Winnipeg were pretty far down both of their lists, don't you think? Well, n- no, I would disagree. Just in the sense that while Winnipeg isn't necessarily a large market, it is a desirable market for a hockey fan and a hockey lover. Um, yeah, but you look at the players' poll and, and every year. What's oh, last? yeah. Yeah, but that's because they don't like going there. There's nothing to do. There's but nothing right now, there's to no do. Fans, so it's even worse, right? That, but that's like, where Winnipeg, I was coming from. They have diehard yeah. fans. They fill the building. They got the whiteout mm. with the towels. It is a great atmosphere. You're a hero. You know, you will be a hero in Winnipeg. 
but the problem is, is you're 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 in Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a little bit gritty over there. And <laughs> and interestingly enough, too, is that uh, you know Dubois was phenomenal. I mean, we watched him play the Maple Leafs last year in the play-in round. He was absolutely dominant every single game. So you got to hope that he can kind of return to that form and and you know put Winnipeg on the winning end of this deal because they did give up Jack Rostovec. We failed to mention so far. Right. Not not just deal. a throw in. No, he's not. He's a former first rounder. Guy with some potential, but because of Winnipeg's forward depth, maybe has not gotten the opportunity that he will see in Columbus. Yeah, and what was the deal with Roslevic too, man? Sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but something about his contract uh, holdout or dispute yeah. or something well, it was of that, that he had requested. He had also requested the trade. So oh, okay. they they got two birds stoned at once there. They got rid of two guys <laughs> two who wanted stone. out. You know, now, it, sorry, I was just going to say it is such an interesting theme there though when you see you know two former first round picks one of them incredibly high at number two uh oh, you got second being, and third picks getting swapped yeah well no not just that but i meant roslovic and line yeah. uh but you're right i mean the what was dubois was number third right so like they should just go back in time and winnipeg can draft dubois and columbus could draft line and everyone would be happy You'd think so, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with, you know, Shifley kind of being the guy in terms of centers there. But Winnipeg just got a whole lot deeper at center for sure, and I know they signed Stastny to be their second-line guy, but he's uh, makes for an excellent third as well. But keeping on the topic here of uh, wait, trade sorry, reply, don't don't you think right? it's a little unfair that Dubois can't play, but Line a can? I think that's uh, unfair. I guess like. This whole thing's unfair, isn't it? No, I, I, but like it's just, I don't know. You make a trade with a team, and the player that you gave away is playing tonight, and the player that you acquired can't play till next week. And it's not because of a visa issue or, you know, I don't know. Like it's not because of anything other than differing quarantining regulations. I know, I know, I know there's nothing we can do, but. I think, just think it sucks. That sucks. You know, it sucks for the Jets. Yeah. It's good for me because I'm playing Dubois in my fantasy league this week, so it's good right. for me. I think it sucked for them regardless. I mean, obviously, you don't plan to move on from such high draft picks and guys who have obviously performed very well for your franchise. Right. So, I mean, I think just moving on in general is, is a nice little turn-the-page moment for both of these teams. Um, I did want to keep it on the topic for a second just because we did have – a uh, bit of news in terms of more trade demands because everybody apparently is going all NBA on everybody and wants to get whatever the fuck they want. Trade me right but, fucking uh, our, now. Our, our, yeah, our favorite agent, Mr. Darren Ferris, made public a couple of juicy uh, trade requests from Victor Mete out of Montreal and Sam Bennett out of Calgary. Now, the Mete situation I get, he's in a bit of a, a, a depth problem there with Montreal, a young guy who was pretty highly touted coming in. I know Canadians and Canadians fans were excited about this kid, but hasn't really been getting the opportunity due to the added depth on Montreal's back end. But Sam Bennett, I thought, was a bit surprising because there's a guy, I know his name's been trade-rumored for a number of years now. It's just surprising to see where I feel like he had carved out a pretty good role there. So maybe you can add a little more to that situation. Yeah, you know, it's. I always find it really interesting when players request trades. It, 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 it becomes... It becomes public knowledge that the player wants out. But what never seems to become public knowledge is why. Like, why? We always have to speculate. Ah, well, you know, he's getting third-line minutes and he thinks he could do better or whatever. And I'm sure that that's all fine and well. I'm sure that that's the exact reason why. But there's got to be more. Like, there just there has to be more, whether it's coach, teammates, accommodations, you know, yeah, maybe... There are so many factors here, right? That, yeah. That it's hard to wrap everything up. We usually look to the ice and the stats. Like like you said, where is he playing in the lineup? It, it's You think it's hockey-related, but we have no idea, so it's hard to speculate on. No, and you know, it's funny because it, he, he's a difficult player for the Flames to move on from, if you ask me. Not that he's world-beater by any means in terms of points, but 
when you flip over to the playoffs, I mean, he's got 19 playoff points in 30 playoff games. So this is the kind of guy that really turns it on when it matters the most. I mean, you're talking eight points in 10 playoff games in 2019, 2020, and five points in five playoff games in 2018, 2019, obviously one series and out on that one. Uh, but he, he factors in all over the score sheet, Lesko. I mean, he also has 38 PIMs uh, in, in, in 30 playoff games. So he is really active out there. First round, fourth overall in the 2014 NHL entry draft, peaking in points at 36 in 77 games played back in 2015-2016. Lately... Not so great. 12 points in 52 games last year. 27 points in 71 games the year prior. So, I mean, if you're buying on Sam Bennett, I think you're buying low. But if you're selling on Sam Bennett, Calgary Flames, you've, you've got to do everything you can to show the potential suitors that, hey, if you want to go somewhere in the playoffs – this is the kind of guy that you want to have on your team because that's the only way that they're going to win a trade involving Sam Bennett here. Yeah, I think he's got, you know, I shouldn't say offensive upside because we really know what he is at this point. He's proven that he has offensive contributions. But I think, you know, maybe not getting a role on the power play in Calgary. Uh, I believe at one point he was playing center previously. Now he's playing third line left wing. I feel like he just might want to play a bigger role on the team, and he's never really gotten that opportunity ever since he arrived in Calgary. It seemed that he had, they had high expectations from him, and then guys like Gaudreau came in and Monahan, and they just kind of he just got lost in the shuffle, you know, when they started getting good again, and never seemed to get a ton of recognition or a ton of minutes or anything. So he might just be saying like, "Hey, this is where I'm at in my career. If I'm gonna maybe take that next step." I, I got to do it somewhere else because clearly it's not here in Calgary. But uh, just really interesting to see this many players. You know, I can't remember a short period of time like this where we've seen this many trade requests, and especially one that came to fruition with two guys who wanted out. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That one was really extra interesting because they were swapped for each other. So like, I felt like that was the only way that either Winnipeg or Columbus was even going to win. The trade for Line A and Dubois, respectively, was to trade them for each other because they're both disgruntled. You guys are going to lose the trade if you go somewhere else, and so are we. So why don't we just flip each other? Like we'll just we'll take your we'll take your problem and you can take our yeah. problem. We'll try to solve it that way. Yeah, exactly. But for Mete, uh, just flipped over to his DB screen as well. I mean, the guy's got 172 games played in the NHL. What does he want? This is, and this, this is kind of coming back to something that I've been realizing and, and bitching about a little bit, Lesko, on my own time, is how the league has clearly shifted to players running the fucking show. It used to be owners, GMs, coaches. I mean, you, you used to be afraid of your coach. When your mm-hmm. coach contacted you, you were terrified. Come and see me in my office tomorrow. Fucking terrifying. I haven't talked to you in three years. Now I'm going into your office tomorrow. I'm obviously traded. I know your name last week. Yeah, I'm obviously traded or sent down. But now you got, I mean, you got phones, obviously texting, Facebook message, whatever. Like we, I think it was Sheldon Keefe actually who just mentioned not too long ago in one of his interviews that he's keeping up with all of his players daily. I mean, that's probably like two or three hours out of his goddamn day. Texting fucking everyone, seeing what they had for dinner and how they're doing. Like, Players run the show now, and and they have to be protected. They're all I don't want to call them divas, but like, ah, oh God, it used to you be. Want them to be happy. It used like, to be you, fucking get over here, fucking play, and do the best that you can. Otherwise, you're fucking gone. And now yeah. it's I'm the best, and fuck you. I'll get you fired if you don't want to meet my demands. And I don't like it. Let's go. I don't like it one bit. I think it might extend beyond the realm of players who might have the right. Because it's, it's funny. I can recall saying things a few years ago like, what is this guy, where does he get off to demanding a trade, you know? It's, it's just, I think there is a lot more value placed in players being happy. I mean, if a player's not happy, he's not going to perform for you. And if you are a hockey team and you are investing millions of dollars a year in this hockey player... He's going to have to be happy if he's going to give you the most return on investment. So 
it's in the best interest of a team to be like, okay, it's not working out. Let's try and get the most from now. And if you think they can be reasonable, you can say, no, you know yeah. what? We're not planning on moving you at all, so you better suck it up and play. Yeah, well, it's like Brian Burke uh, mentioned about this. This was some time ago when, when the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade request came down, like before he played that last game and that, that terrible shift that everyone talks about. Like Brian Burke made a good point. He said, when I was in the league many years ago, if a young player came to me and said, I want to be traded, he was sent down. Not only was he not traded, he was sent down because you got you to you gotta earn it. You know, you got to start at the bottom and you got to earn it. And alternatively, or conversely, I should say, Berkey said when a veteran came to him and said, I want out, he was traded ASAP. As in, he will never wear the jersey again. And it's almost spiteful, or at least Berkey made it sound spiteful, although I think he could be over the moon happy, win the lottery, and still make it sound spiteful. But he was basically saying, if the veteran doesn't want to be here, I don't want him here either. If the young rookie doesn't want to be here, I want him to suffer for thinking that he can run the show. And that's kind of what got me started thinking about this whole transition between players running the show and and the way it used to be, where players used to come in and be a little bit afraid and be really trying to prove their value. Like I said, I think it's a little less of the players running the show and a little more of just the teams having more of a connection with the players as human beings and being like, okay, you know what? understand your situation. understand where they're coming from. We'll do our best for you, not making any promises. Which yeah. I think is probably a responsible way to approach it, no matter what era we're talking about here. Agreed. But another another factor I think that plays in right now during the pandemic and, and the taxi squad and the no AHL situation we have is that a guy who's not playing regularly, it sucks. Like, could you mind how much it sucks? You're hanging out in the rink, watching the game, no crowds. You're not playing. All you do is practicing. You can't get sent down to the A. It's just, for guys who have not played a game of hockey right now, you know, what would it be, three weeks in the season, four weeks in the season? That's got to be tough. So I think that might have spurred some more interest in players being like, ah, you know what, I want to get out. But I think there's some spillover from the line A Dubois effect where people go, nah, these guys got our way. I might as well give it a shot too. Yeah, and in Mete's case, I'm not sure if he is a taxi squad member or if he's just straight up a healthy, uh, but he's only got one game played. Uh, so mm-hmm. far in this uh, NHL season, this 2021 NHL season. So, yeah, I think you're right on that one, Lesko. I mean, if you're not playing, it can be really tough. And and maybe it's it's less of a, you know, trade me right fucking now and hang the phone up and more of a, hey, guys, do, like, do you think do you think you could try? Do you think you could just see? Just see what you want. Because if you're not playing me, then you don't want me, and I want to play. Um, so in that aspect, I definitely am siding more with the players' demands, or not demands, but the players' request to be moved. If it's if it's just asking the question, like, hey, I'm in the booth, uh, you know, I, I'm actually allergic to popcorn, so there's no point in me being up there. Uh, yeah. can, can you move me along yeah, somewhere? <laughs> yeah. All right, if we're going to move along here, uh, obviously we'll, we'll get off of that topic. I did think it was interesting that Darren Ferris went, public with it but as we know that man is as bold as agents get so right this is not surprising on that front uh let's take it over to the toronto maple leafs though i know we're always chopping at the bit and you and i don't miss a minute of any leafs hockey so there's lots to go on with uh i did want to plug an article by a friend of the show luke fox before we get into the maple leafs and before i forget uh he did a, a really interesting piece on the amazon series that's being produced oh, and right. shed a little bit of light on that a uh, couple interesting tidbits is that they have actually been present there since the beginning of camp and will be there till the Leafs are done, whenever that may be. Uh, and one of the other things is that some of the players have mentioned that it's a lot less intrusive than, say, the previous series that the NHL has done, Roads of the Winter Classic, uh, things yeah, of that the nature. Yeah, HBO one. Whereas Amazon, in, in order to try and adhere to all these protocols that are in place, have utilized a lot of different robotic cameras and, and candid cameras, essentially, throughout the facilities to capture different moments. Yeah, so like they're, fi- think, they're fixated in a spot and it's always live. Yeah. Right. So go check out Luke's article on Sportsnet. And I think we really, you know, if you're a fan of the, the old HBO series, if you're a fan of the Road to Winter Classic, I think we're going to have, a, we're in for a real treat here. 
I think so, dude. Um, I did. I did read one of the. Actually, I did read uh, Luke's article, or maybe it was another one. I can't remember, but they said that the narrator has yet to be identified. So I'm still holding out hope. Maybe they'll give me a call to narrate the uh, narrate the documentary. But let me let me tell you this before we move on past this. I had this big message ready to send to one of my group chats, and I ended up erasing it because I didn't want to be that guy. But I'll gladly be that guy now on the Pucks and D podcast, episode 76. Thanks for tuning in, by the way. Um, I think that maybe this documentary could have a massively positive impact on the team. And for that, I have two reasons. One, I just think that it adds something else to kind of take the edge off. And you would think maybe you'd say, well, Josh, maybe it's maybe it's the other way and they're nervous that the cameras are around. No, no. What you just said is why I'm refuting that argument because often they're not even there. And if they are there, they're over there and you guys are doing something. It's not like they're right in your face. So I feel like it might take the edge off and allow some of the veteran players to be a little bit more like goofy and just friendly and just create a a better camaraderie amongst the group. And the second reason, which can't really be proven, I guess, but it's just speculation. It seems to me that when we have these kind of documentaries, they end in a very good way, right? So you had like the last dance documentary. Now, of course, in January, (laughs) right? Yeah. No, I mean like the last dance documentary with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, like that was obviously done many years after. So we know they won. Um, but what, but they didn't know that they were going to win that year, uh, when they were doing the documentary and there have been other documentaries and I can't even, I can't remember them now for the life of me, but there have been other documentaries that followed sports teams and the teams ultimately won in that documentary. Now, maybe we don't see the other documentaries where they had a doc, they had a, a camera crew in for you know this year's Ottawa Senators team well pretty bad idea I mean the team's not very good you're going to end up canceling your documentary halfway through but I'm just holding out a little a little like I don't know gray area hope or like just a random hope and a thought that maybe this documentary will bring us good karma and the documentary will end culminating in the Leafs first Stanley Cup in a thousand years and it just so happened to be the year that they had Amazon here doing the documentary I just think that maybe those two isolated incidents could marry each other and then of course you you throw in the fact that we got this crazy Canadian division and we may have a chance to not only win the first round but maybe also a second round within the Canadian division and not face an opponent south of the 49th until the conference finals and then you have one seven game series against some team I don't even care what team fucking pick it and that's a chance to go to the cup. I mean, if there was ever a chance to go to the cup, let's go. It's, it's right now, isn't it? I, I love how you shared that wet dream with the listeners. So I had I'm to. Sure they're really going to appreciate that. I had to. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think it's going to be cool. I'm really excited about it. I've always been a big fan of the series. Uh, hopefully it's uncensored. And especially with the injection of just some interesting personalities into the mix this year. I mean, we got Wayne Simmons. We got Joe Thornton. We've got a change, you know, a team that tried on purpose to change the dynamic and camaraderie in that dressing room. So I think it's going to be a real cool year to have a sneak peek at the Leafs. You got Sheldon's first full year with the team, and he's obviously an interesting guy as well. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it, and and like you said, it could culminate in the greatest of ways or end tragically. <laughs> it's going to write itself. But I think the NHL is really onto something here. Uh, apparently, they've been pitching to the different streaming companies for years trying to get this into a series. So this is a big step forward for from a PR standpoint for the NHL because this is going to put them in front of an audience that that is not maybe yet experienced the NHL whatsoever, especially yeah. south of the border, mm-hmm. because they want to kind of put themselves on par with the NFL, the MLB, and basketball. You mentioned the last dance. I'm not the world's biggest basketball fan, but you damn right I watched that. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Michael Jordan's in a different stratosphere, but they want to find a way to reach that larger sports fan audience, and I think this is a good ticket 
to find their way to it. If the Leafs do win the Cup this year, Lesko, is there any reason for anyone to put on their tinfoil hat and make the assumption that 100%. it was it was rigged for the Amazon documentary? Oh, people are probably already saying that. <laughs> Well, you might as well say it now so that if it happens, you're right. That's why I shared my wet dream with everyone. Because if it happens, I'm going to be like, I knew it. It was the documentary. I knew it. I'll be, right. hey, I'll be over here. Let's go. I'll be over here like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> I fucking you gotta knew it. You got to get one you can drink out of. Or instead of filling that thing full of air, why don't you fill it? Just, I guess people are listening. He's holding up a, an inflatable Stanley Cup. They probably got out of beer case or something. No, I got it at the Hall of Fame. Instead of filling it full of air, fill it full of beer. I got it at the Hall of Fame. But I do have one that you can drink out of, but it's our Fantasy Hockey League trophy, and I didn't win last year. So, so I had don't to, get the drink out of it. I had to ship it to my fucking buddy. Congrats, Hendy. Ah, there you go, Hendy. Son Take that. Bitch. So how we how we feel about the Leafs so far? You know, it's it's interesting. I know we've had previous episodes of the show where things have kind of hummed along for the Maple Leafs, and I feel like that's where we're at right now. I, I feel like they're meeting expectations. I know we have a lot of pretty rough injuries, but have seemed to get by okay with without these players and and having some of those guys fill in the depth when maybe we were scared about depth last episode. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to have a lot of shade for the Maple Leafs this week, and 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 nobody, none of the individual players for that matter either, because I think they've they kind of played where I expect them to play and have been relatively competitive and starting on time, which is a whole new thing for us that I really appreciate. Yeah, well, you know, I'll I'll even chip in another one to that. Let's go starting on time, big one. I think uh, if you flip the calendar back a year ago to the day, uh, that was something that we were complaining about all the time, every episode that we had. Hey, welcome back to the Pucks and D podcast episode, whatever, 51. The Leafs didn't start on time today, and they crawled back and lost in overtime. Uh, You know, those things uh, have changed along with, you know, the starts, I I should say, have changed along with the ability to hang on, the ability to protect uh and maybe maybe protect is the wrong word but or win those one goal win, hockey yeah win the close game win the close game hang off win the fucking thing in regulation you know um and we're doing that against teams in our own division now of course every game you play is in your own division but let's pretend it's not um you know if they were playing other teams if they were playing florida if they were playing st louis or chicago or anyone the ability to make sure that you take home that three two victory and leave it be 3-2, maybe 4-2 with an empty netter, that's that's a Leaf team that I'm not used to watching. And I can tell you right now, let's go, I can definitely get used to watching it. I mean, 15 points in 10 games, um, 7-2-1 through our first 10, sitting first right now in the North Division. Obviously, one more game played than the Montreal Canadiens, who are right on our heels. They actually have a better uh, percentage, winning percentage than us. And winning percentage is really going to be the ticket here, Lesko, because it looks like right now we're we're at about 10% missing or postponing games for COVID-19 protocol. Um, so if we, you know, if we average that out over the rest of the year, I don't think it's going to stay at 10%. I think it'll probably be more like 15 at best, which means we're going to be missing about 70 or 80 games. Um you know, not out of the 56, 70 or 80 total games uh, across the NHL. Do you think we can make that up? I don't know. I don't know if we can make that up. And it has already been speculated that it may come to the point where the NHL will have to say, that's it. Um, we talked about this last episode, Lesko, the Seattle Kraken, the expansion team, 2022. They got to come in 2021, 2022. They got to come in here and, and hit the ground running. So we can't extend the season. So if at some point they are going to close the curtains on this season, it's going to come down to winning percentage. And we're going to have to stay on top of that. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to, to follow and, and it'll be interesting to see if they choose to factor that in. I know they're going to try and jam in as many games as they can, and the teams obviously that are facing delays, there's a number of them now who, uh, who have dealt with COVID outbreaks in their dressing rooms. So it's it's going to be difficult, and you know I think it's too early to say whether or not we'll reach their goal of a 56-game season. I can only hope so. 
Uh, obviously, we want to see as much hockey as we possibly can, and uh, especially you know Maple Leafs hockey. I mean, I've been I've been watching every game. I've been really enjoying this. I've been staying up for the late games. I yeah, mean, me too. Having j- hockey start so late in January just made me clamor for it more, and I've just been. <laughs> I've been happy to watch, and, and I feel like they've competed in most games aside from that loss to Ottawa. So, not a whole again, going to take it back, not a whole lot to complain about. I did want to bring up briefly the, the, the two games against Calgary. I thought they were pretty interesting. They were pretty chippy. Uh, we showed a bit of that character, a bit of that toughness maybe that we lacked previously. But I don't think anything topped it off for me better than watching Jake Muzzin flip the puck at Matthew Kachuk. And not not only that, just little act of, like, devious, like, ha fuck you, buddy, but Matthew Kachuk losing his shit as he went off the ice trying to throw everything he could get his hands on. That was really shocking. I'll tell you. I, like, maybe it's not shocking because, let's be honest, we all know Matthew Kachuk is a very colorful player. We all know he's a very hard player and he wears his heart right here right so we know all that about Kachuk so maybe it's not surprising that he had the little tantrum the reason why I feel it's a little surprising is I mean that's his thing he does that he flips the pucks he gets he, he gets on yeah skin. yeah he gives you the little butt end when no one's looking you know he he's the one that does all that stuff he puts your he puts his stick inside your glove and just pisses you off you just have to punch him in his face and take a two-minute penalty that's what he does so yeah. Muzzin gets him you know and it's back-to-back wins for the Leafs and the Flames aren't happy about it and what we've seen so far in the regular season let's go and this is across all the divisions when there are multiple games team a that loses game one wins game two it's almost always like that they're splitting it everyone's splitting it but you know, you get into this situation, the Leafs beat up on Calgary, and they're not too pleased about it. As a matter of fact, they're really upset about it, and you could see how upset Matthew Kachuk was. And I just found it really surprising surprising that he would give the Leafs, and not only Leafs Nation, but all of the hockey world. Edmund, all the Kachuk Ed, Yeah, like Edmonton fans that hate him. You know, like he gave them what they so longed to see, which is Matthew Kachuk acting like a little bitch, mm-hmm. which is yeah, exactly he, he, what he did. He certainly blew the gasket. It's not that surprising, I would say, given, like you said, the level of intensity, wearing your heart on your sleeve, and those kind of guys are like that. But it was just interesting because usually he's the one, like you said, bringing it out of somebody else, pissing you off, making you lose your cool, making you take a penalty. So I think there was a little bit of uh, snide satisfaction to be had in seeing Kachuk for a gasket like that. Uh, and, and just for Muzzin to say, you know what, I'm not going to goon this guy. I'm not going to take a penalty against him. I'm not going to screw around with him. And everyone's like, oh, there's going to be revenge for the Campbell ring. No, we're going to win this hockey game, and now I'm just going to show this fucking little squirt what's going on out here. So yeah. I got a good laugh at it. And you can see the look on Muzzin's face, too. He knew exactly, exactly what he was doing, and he couldn't ask for a better result. Well, I can tell you one thing, man. I, like, I know, obviously, I'm assuming you were watching it live as well. I was busy, like, you know, celebrating, like, ah, woo, nice win for the boys. And then I was looking, and I was like, oh, man, what, what's going on? Because, you know, they, they cut away with the camera, and then they went back to what was happening. And when they went back to it, fucking Kachuk was like, it looked like he was going to punch Matthews. Like, he was right, he was standing right next to Matthews, and I was like, oh, my God, no, like, no, you know, please, for the love of God, what if what if Kachuk just hauls off and fucking smashes Austin Matthews and now we're in? Oh, they're buddies, thankfully. They're buddies. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, good point. But you know how it is right now. Kachuk got spun around. After I watched the replay, I understand what happened. Kachuk got spun around, and Muzzin was kind of way over there. And he wanted to get at Muzzin. And he looked at Matthews. I, thought, I think he thought that he was Muzzin at first. Then he realized he wasn't which proves your point or is further to your point that they're buddies. Um, you know, otherwise maybe he just fucking clocks them, you know, just to get back. Because he was going crazy. He didn't know what to throw. He's breaking the stick. He thought about tossing the fucking Gatorade bottle. He didn't know what to do. It was a real, it was a real farce, I'll yeah. tell you. I know. I laugh a little bit, but I've been there. <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> I, I was that guy, and that's why I got all respect for Matt Kachuk. Love the way he plays hockey. Would have him on my team, and I'm sure would love him if he was in Leaf Nation. Oh, I would sure. too. No doubt. No doubt. All right, you want to wrap this one up, son? Yeah, we can wrap it up, buddy. Um, 
Well, I'll save my Twitter story for uh, next episode. Let's do that. Uh, of course, yeah. I had a Twitter. I, I had well, a Twitter story, but we'll we'll. Believe uh, it or not, folks. Believe it or not, Mr. Josh Coleman got into it with someone online, but it's I, not what you think. This time, <laughs> it wasn't his fault. It wasn't we'll, my well, fault. That's the teaser. That's the trailer. Teaser trailer for next episode. All right, we'll tease it for next episode. So that's it. Episode seventy-six is a wrap here on the Pucks and D podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for watching the first episode. Um, we're hoping that this one's going to be produced a lot faster uh, with a little bit better quality. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to getting this one out. Thank you to everyone who has already subscribed to the Pucks and Deep podcast channel. Uh, by the way, let's go. I did manage to get it fixed uh, to just Pucks and Deep the way you wanted it. So we're, uh, yeah, so it's just Pucks and Deep on YouTube. And we've actually been gaining uh, subscribers at a pretty steady pace over the course of one day. Uh, so keep that up. Share it around. Uh, we've been getting some great feedback, even though I myself, I wasn't super uh, proud of the video quality that I had here on my video. I hope that it's improved on this one. And uh, yeah, we were getting some really good feedback and a lot of people saying that they didn't listen to the podcast, but they for sure are going to consume our video episodes. So uh, I thought that was uh, a really interesting thing and I'm looking forward to producing more and more and let's go uh, at some point at, at the end of this, I feel like I'm going to be able to apply for some sort of like technical producer or video editor at some big firm somewhere after all the learning I've been doing here. Oh, you keep padding that resume, buddy. This guy's learning. <laughs> All right, follow us on Twitter at Coleman42, at Lesko Adam, and follow the station at PuckPod. Drop us a line as always. Email is realpuckpod at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to leave us a comment in the comment section below. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys when we see you.